welcome to Creative Paths, the podcast that features unfiltered conversations about creative journeys. I'm your host, Sam Cole. I speak to creators from across the globe about their unique experiences and proudest moments, as well as the lessons they've learned along the way. Creative Paths is brought to you by Contact. It's the platform where creatives, models, photographers, and more find work and get paid, and where clients book the world's most diverse creative talent. Visit contact.xyz for more information. Hello and welcome to Creative Path Season 2, Episode 6. Today I'm joined by Ashita Cabra Davis, founder of the social fashion renting app By Rotation. Since its inception in 2019, By Rotation has been empowering its users, or rotators as it likes to call them, to rent and lend their designer fashion items with each other directly. By doing so, they've built a close knit community of individuals that are doing their part to create meaningful change towards a sustainable, circular future for fashion. Today, Ishita joins me to unravel the story behind By Rotation and share her and her team's mission towards changing the way that we view fashion. So I thought it'd be nice for us to, you know, start at the beginning, as we just very quickly mentioned there, about your kind of multicultural roots and time you've spent in, you know, different countries and whatnot. So I'm sure you'd consider yourself a global citizen. So which country would you say that you feel closest to? And, you know, how did your journey lead you to coming to the UK? Well, I was trying to be a bit deliberate about the answer for this question. You know, I, I wanted to romanticize it a bit. But I think the truth is I probably <laughs> feel closest to the UK because I feel like this is where I became my own person. I really grew up. I would say I was alone here, you know, because my family lives abroad. Yeah, I would say I feel closest to UK because, yeah, it's where I, I found myself as cheesy as it sounds <laughs> that's totally fair what are some of the other countries that you've that you've actually spent some time in so i was born in india in rajasthan which is uh, the desert state of india you know it's the one you see in all those incredible india tourism campaigns and then i moved to singapore when i was two and a half years old so i grew up my entire life in singapore and then I studied in the US for university and then moved to UK for uni as well. So I actually moved to London about 11 years ago for my undergrad study business. But I would say I very much identify myself as, I would say, obviously, uh, physically and, uh, you know, ethnically, I'm Asian, I'm Indian. Mm-hmm. But I would say even mentally and like my personality, I would say is very Asian. My mindset is very Asian. Right. I feel you. <laughs> Where are you from, Sam? Me. So my my mom's actually from Zimbabwe. Cool. And my dad's from Cornwall. It's like I feel like it's a really <laughs> road road mix. Everyone's Love like, it. oh, that's that's kind of random. But um, yeah, I was I was born over here. I was born in Luton. So yeah, very much British at heart, I'd say. But like you just said, I definitely strongly identify with my African side. And yeah, yeah, something I celebrate. <laughs> I think also as you get older, you really appreciate you know, all, all these sort of, um, you know, your cultural identity much more. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah, without a doubt. When you're younger, everyone wants to fit in, right? And then as you get older, you start celebrating these unique things about yourself more. Yeah. Oh, of course, of course. I think it, um, I don't know, it kind of gives you like a, a new direction perspective on things as you get older as well. You you appreciate kind of the nuances of, of culture a lot more, I find. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So, I mean, it'd be good to now kind of divert a little bit have a have a look at your company by rotation. So whether you like kind of started it as a creative side hustle while working a corporate job in finance. So what 
was the kind of um, like decision process for you to turn that into a full-time thing? And while you're doing it as a side hustle, how did you kind of find the time to focus on it? What's, what's that balancing act like? Yeah. So I founded by rotation in April, 2019. That's when I registered the company and I went full-time in October, 2019. So six months later, And for the first six months, it was a side hustle. So I worked full time at a credit hedge fund. So investing in corporate bonds, mostly distressed securities. And it was the evenings and the weekends that I was using to, you know, kind of figure out what buy rotation was going to be, which today is a social network where you can lend and rent designer fashion with each other. So it's all about the sharing economy. It's all about using what you already have. And making friends at the same time while also dressing in quality fashion. Um, so yeah, without the guilt, basically, you know, that this huge eco guilt that you feel when you're always dressing in new things. And I mean, in terms of how I balanced this, this side hustle with a full time job, I have to be honest, I, I feel like I pretty much gave up my entire social life. You know, instead of hanging out with friends in the evenings or, um, I don't know, on the weekends, going to bar or Pilates classes and going for brunch or whatever, I was using all this free time to really just, you know, work on by rotation. And I had very understanding friends who actually supported me throughout the journey. So my first so-called rotators, you know, our users, our customers, they were all within my network. They were my friends who also had desk jobs. You know, they were just corporate professionals who actually are very important customers who are often not included in the uh, development of a lot of products you know it often it's sort of media personalities vips celebrities influencers who are involved in the early stages of a product but for me it's been very much the regular working professional that i've had involved in the product from day one because they're all my friends and that's who i am who i was so yeah I, i actually found it very beneficial to have it as a side hustle first It was a great way to also weigh up the opportunity cost of leaving my career working in finance because it was, yeah, I mean, it wasn't this sort of romantic moment that I had where I woke up one morning and decided to to quit, you know, it was sort of based on quite a lot of qualitative and quantitative factors, like hitting targets for the number of users I wanted to have before leaving the number of transactions that we did. So the number of rentals that we did. And not just within London, but actually across the entire UK. And that's, you know, when I hit those targets, that's when I decided I was going to hand in my notice. That's a nice way of doing it, I think. Kind of have it set in those foundations, first and foremost. Yeah, it's quite risky, I think, to sort of leave a career that you've, you know, developed and just sort of walk away from it for this new concept and new idea. Because as we know, you know, about two thirds of startups all fail within the first three years. So I wanted to be pretty realistic about what I was getting into before walking away from it all. Yeah. With that, do you think it was kind of like a, a scary transition for you, even though you kind of had those those benchmarks and those foundations in place? Was, you know, were there any kind of anxieties that came with that? Yeah, I mean, it sounds very first world problem, but I was very, very hesitant to leave. I just thought, uh, you know, I haven't been taking a salary until very recent because we just closed our seed fundraise. But I haven't been taking a salary for the past two and a half years which is different to, you know, having a secure, a stable job with, you know, it was a pretty lucrative career path to work in finance, right? Yeah. So I think that sort of stuff, it, it is a hygiene factor. It does matter. And it was sort of hard walking away from that. 
So I was actually very, very hesitant when I was handing in my notice to the point that my team could actually feel it when I handed in my notice. And they asked me if I wanted to reconsider and spend, <laughs> because, because I handed my notice in, I handed in my notice on Friday. So they told me to think about it on the, over the weekend. And if I changed my mind, it was fine. And on Monday, we would just pretend nothing happened. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. And so I'm way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just, you know, I came back on Monday and I said, no, I have to do this. Like, don't try to tempt me because I've already been mulling about it for so long. But if I don't do it now, then I probably will get sucked in and never leave. Yeah. And, you know, comfortable. exactly. And I've seen that happen with quite a few of my friends who, you know, I, I think it's the choice of what you want to do with your life. And I'm very happy with the decision that I've made. I mean, you, you kind of like really, we've kind of briefly just touched on it there, but I mean, financially, how do you actually manage that, that kind of transition? Cause like you said, you, you've only just recently started paying yourself a salary. So what does that look like going from that decision to hand your notice into thinking like, okay, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think I've mentioned it a few times and I actually mentioned it in a Vogue article that I penned recently about how I'm not really into this whole girl boss culture where, you know, the focus is all about how I did this, I built this, I'm the founder, I'm the face, all of that. I actually really don't like any of that. And, you know, I, I'm very upfront about the fact that the only reason why I could have founded by rotation and done this without taking a salary is because I have financial support from my family, from my husband. And I think a lot of founders only talk about the things, they, they only position themselves in a way that they've done it all. No one helped them, which is not true at all. I'm all about being much more honest about what the reality of it all is. And I was very, very encouraged by my husband to, to make this leap. You know, he said, don't worry about it. I still have my job. We can still make it work. And I think more people need to know that that's often the story for quite a few founders. You know, they, they have quite a few cushions underneath them, whether or not they will publicly admit it, because I guess it seems more glamorous to say, I don't have anything and I built it all on, all on my own. But, yeah. but honestly, it takes a village. And I think we, we all as founders need to be more honest and give credit where it's due to the others who helped us get where we are. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think that's really important. I mean, we talk about collaboration a lot. And I think that it's not necessarily the type of collaboration people are talking about when they, when they do talk about the topic. But I mean, in every facet of life, you kind of, you need that to progress and, you know, bring each other up. So I think that is really important to shed some light on. Yeah. You got to have, um, understanding family, understanding friends, like a good support network around you who can help you emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, carrying things even and, and financially, you know, it's, it's not all done by just the founders. Yeah. Of course. I mean, it's a, it's a big transitional period, like you said, to, to move from one thing to another. So of course, I think having that network there is, absolutely key it'd be good to talk more about by rotation itself and in your own words kind of explain what the purpose of the company is what it is that you personally want to achieve and you know kind of what your vision for the future is yeah so by rotation the world's first social network where you can lend and rent designer fashion with each other so you can save money because you're renting quality fashion from each other. You can make money because you can monetize your own incredible style by lending it out to others. You can dress in quality, amazing pieces, you know, even the most latest of all collections because someone just bought it over the weekend, they wore it, and now they're listing it to rent it out to others. 
And then you can also make friends. So you can meet other people who have the same size as you, the same style as you, and you can follow them on the app. And it's basically like having an extended wardrobe. And I guess the cherry on top really is that you are saving the planet one rental at a time because you are not buying yet another piece of fashion because it already exists in someone else's wardrobe. And ideally, you're not buying fast fashion at all because you're moving into a much more conscious way of consuming fashion, which is higher quality pieces, fewer purchasing habits, fewer shopping trips, just sharing what you already have, really. So for me, prioritization, it's different from fashion rental as a concept. It's really all about the sharing economy. You know, we're very, very peer to peer. And the way that I really see us, you know, you know, the future and what I want us to do is transform fashion consumption altogether for good. You know, I want us to be global. We're a very scalable business model. You know, we're essentially a tech company. So a peer to peer marketplace, which is also a social network. So very much about the creator community, like you guys at contact. And, you know, I I would say the final thing is I want to be in every corner of the world. I want us to have local communities where you could, you know, walk three streets away and rent a smoking jacket for, you know, an event that you've been invited to last minute tomorrow night. You know, that that's really the vision to be borrowing from people who are quite local to you. So it's all about building communities locally and getting people to share what they already have. And, you know, we start with fashion, but it's not limited just to fashion. You know, we have homeware products on the app as well. I actually saw a woman who got married recently listing out some of her wedding decorations because she bought... Oh, brilliant. Yeah, she bought a lot of uh, candlesticks and they're quite expensive for weddings, I would say. And for her own wedding, she bought them and now she's renting them out on the app. So it's really about lifestyle products that millennials and Gen Z would like to have access to, but not necessarily own. Mm-hmm. That's, I find that really interesting because a question I always ask to people that, that are working in fashion is when you're looking at shows and when like all these big shows are produced and you have all of these like different decorations and they create these like bespoke pieces, like maybe it's a chair or whatever for a shoot. I'm like, where does this stuff go afterwards? Like, what, what, what is being done with that? And I think that's, that's something that could be really useful in that environment. Cause these are like really amazing, interesting pieces that you wouldn't see anywhere else, you know, that can be like homeware and whatever. We should get them to list them on the app. So definitely tell them about Viratation. Yeah. yeah, there we go. <laughs> We're connecting the dots there. Amazing. Um, so with the, like the community building, like you said, it would be, you know, the, the vision is for people to like, you know, you can, you can be abroad or whatever and you can get these pieces. Has your like international exposure influenced that in any way? Yeah. I mean, being a third culture kid myself, it's been, you know, I, I never really felt like I belong to a particular click or, or community. I just felt like I just feel very open-minded. And, you know, even if you look at my own life and all the different friends and networks that I have, they're all very different. They're very varied. And I'm actually very proud of that because I think that's where you get a diversity in opinion and perspectives and you build for the future because you want to include everyone. You want to build products for everyone. And for me, biorotation is for everyone. And I want it to be very inclusive and I think that's that's come from my upbringing and the different cultures that I've been exposed to that I feel that I'm a part of. And yeah, and that's why biorotation is a global concept. It's for everyone and anyone who wants to share quality products with each other. And I mean, I'm just thinking about even the values that I have and that we've imbibed into the biorotation team culture. 
You know, if I look around our open plan office and the desk, my colleagues are all from different countries. You know, we've got someone from Latvia, someone from Sweden, someone from Spain, someone from India, someone from UK. I'm from Singapore myself and India. You know, I, I just love having people from different backgrounds, not just culturally, but even academic, you know, socioeconomic, come together and debate about how we can make bioretation better than it already is today. So um, that's something I feel the inclusivity element. I think we as global, you know, third culture kids, we, we get that because we never really felt like we belonged in one bucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I mean, I don't know if, if you would agree. So myself, like having, having a very big like African family, like sharing is definitely a big part of our culture, you know, Yeah. especially going back to, to fashion and clothing. Like I've literally got, a big bag of stuff right now that I'm like All right, I need to take this to my mom to take back home it's that kind of thing so do you, oh, do put you it on like... rotation we have to get you there on rotation you look like a very cool dresser and we need more yeah. men <laughs> we need more men's items because there's menswear on the app as well so we need to get you and Ruben on the app <laughs> there we go okay we're gonna make that happen yes for sure. we are <laughs> so do you think that just kind of that cultural influence maybe in, inspired the the principles of, of the app and kind of the foundations that it kind of rests on yeah i think i mean you know i was born in rajasthan and most of my relatives you know they, they live in india and i would say you know we didn't come from a super wealthy family my parents built whatever they have themselves and you know we were always very resourceful and, and I think we saw that growing up, looking at our grandparents who didn't have very much and my parents when they were kids who didn't have very much and they built whatever they could themselves using the few resources that they had available to them. And I think that's kind of how biorotation also exists. You know, for us, it's about using what you already have, being resourceful and sharing that with others and including others. And that's even how we are as a team, how I run the company. It's not about wasteful marketing campaigns. It's not about glossy photo shoots. You know, if you look at a lot of our marketing, you'll see on all our channels, it's all about user-generated content, about showing the actual customers, users of the app, and how they actually have used the product, which is our platform, the service. Right. So for us, it's really about being resourceful because we all have too much, uh, not just fashion, but any aspect everything. of Everything. Yeah, too much everything. <laughs> yeah. And the race continues to have even more because that that's what we've become as humans, right? We're all very competitive. I think that's the main thing for me, using what you already have and making the most of it. And that's how you shine. And I think, I mean, not just, you know, when, when I say sustainability, like when you think about the way that we're running by rotation, even the way that we do business, I would say is very sustainable for our stakeholders, our investors. You know, we're not wasteful. Uh, when it comes mm. to our resources, be those financial or even sort of, you know, the kind of output that we put into projects and time, uh, the time that we put into things. So I think it's just about being much more mindful and, and not being excessive. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that the fashion industry in particular is very excessive. Like, absolutely. Ex excess <laughs> is actually seen as glamorous or it used to be. Now everyone's obviously talking about sustainability and all of that. But in the past, it was good to be super extra, you know, and have a lot. Opulence. Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely. I think, it, I mean, as much as there is a lot of 
greenwashing of things it definitely still is a lot of that but i think people try to be a lot more like low-key about it now it's it's the stuff that goes on in the background of business where it's like hold on yeah exactly (laughs) nothing's actually changed here exactly you know you know designers are still making a lot of product um I, i think there was an article that came out today on vogue business about is resale, for example, really that sustainable? Because, you know, designer brands, like really high-end designer brands are dipping their toes into resale. But at the same time, they're still producing the same quantity of things. So like, what's the point? So I think we're not there yet, basically. No, agree. I mean, how do you think all of that kind of ties into the, the like the advantages of the sharing economy versus like a conventional business model? Like, I mean, what are those advantages first and foremost? And, you know, how does how does that all kind of play into one another? Yeah, I mean, with the sharing economy, we're really empowering the average consumer. You know, the, the, the regular average consumer shopping on Oxford Street in London, for example, you know, we're we're getting them to get their money's worth on this, this beautiful, I don't know, dress that they invested in, you know, and they spent quite a bit of money because it's a quality dress and it's not something that they're buying 10 or 20 off because it's, it's quality, it's premium, they probably saved up for it as well. And we're getting them to make more use of it. You know, the, the minimum amount, amount of times that you should be wearing something that you own is 30. You know, hopefully you're wearing it many more times than 30 because it is high quality anyway. So we're getting people to get more use out of the average 57 plus items that they have in their wardrobe. I mean, I definitely have three, four times more than that in my own wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and there's also a stat that we only use 30% of what we own. I probably like wear 15%, like half of that <laughs> that I own. Respect the honesty. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. You know, I'm from Singapore. I'm an ex-shopaholic. You know, I have changed my entire consumption habits, obviously because I'm the founder of Birotation, but also because Birotation has empowered me to be much more conscious in the way that I shop now. You know, with my background in investments, we've got this really cool feature on the app, which is the lender activity dashboard. So it's kind of like, you know, for, you know, for content creators on Instagram, you've got the business profile. So you get your analytics as to which post has done really well and which times are good for you, which days are good for you to post. So likewise, we've done the same on the BioRotation app where you can see the total value of all your listings. So you know the worth of your wardrobe and also how much money you've made since you started lending out your items. So the yield basically on your wardrobe, which shows what great style you have, if it's very high. And all your top brands, you know, top product categories, the top colors that do well for you. So that the next time you go shopping, you will be much more strategic about the items that you invest Mm, in and that you buy. And we've actually seen some of our top lenders not even shopping at the high street brands anymore because they're investing in higher quality pieces. And uh, once they've worn them, they're listing them on the app for other people to enjoy. And I think that for me is, you know, it, it shows to me that it's not just about people wanting to wear new clothes. It's not just about rental. It's actually really driving a consumption mindset shift. You know, we've become a habit for some of our top rotators, as we call them. You know, we're something that they think about every day. And I think that's where I feel like we're in this zeitgeist moment where we're really, really changing the concept of what fashion means for an average woman who's not totally invested into sustainability. She's just sort of understanding 
about it. You know, it's mostly women on the app right now. We do want to have more men. So guys listening out there, please list your wardrobes on the app. Um, and it's just, it's just been very, very intriguing that now contemporary fashion. So not just your Chanel bags and your Birkin bags, contemporary fashion, like a 500 pound dress has become an asset class. Like if you buy that 500 pound dress and you wear it and you lend it out to others as well, you will make back your entire 500 pounds back and you will still own the item. So you can still continue wearing it. And if you have great style and if your item is really popular, you can probably even make three, four times the amount of the, of the dress in the first place. So that's been really empowering. One of our users wrote to us saying that she was able to leave her full-time job that she was struggling to maintain because she had a second child and the cost of covering the nanny and going to work was actually much more than her having a job. So she said by rotation actually helped sort of top up the extra money that she needed to have a wow, nanny. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and she said, if that isn't empowering your users, then she doesn't know what is. And, you know, those are the things that we, I wasn't thinking that this is what the result that I want from by rotation. But the fact that it's become such an integral part to someone's livelihood, I think those are the things that make me wake up in the morning and, and want to go on at work and, and continue doing the great work that we're doing. No, that's a really beautiful thing. I think that's an amazing little anecdote there. That's, Thank that's you, really Sam. Great. Yeah, of course. I mean, you've, you've also, you've mentioned, obviously, you know, you just touched on one of your users there, but you mentioned that biorotation is also a community and it's about community building. Do you, do you think that that should be a core brand value? Do you think it's an, an important part of, of running a successful business? Traditionally, everyone sort of put a lot of focus, like a lot of companies put a focus on building a brand. And it was all really about like being aspirational, being exclusive, being like, oh my God, I want to, I want that lifestyle. I want to be a part of this. You know, this is, this is the brand that I really aspire to one day buy. But I think now the sh there, there's been a huge shift in now being approachable and inclusive and, you know, building a community, not a brand. I mean, very commercially speaking, you know, we're a peer to peer marketplace and we're a social network. So community is very important to us. Who is on the app is incredibly important because they help us determine what the supply, so what items are being listed on the app and what the demand is going to be, you know, who is renting these items and for what reason. So for us, uh, commercially speaking, community is incredibly important. You know, if we don't take care of our community, the platform is just a platform. It, it can be anything or it can be nothing. So that's one of the reasons why community is very, very important to us. But I think it's also where our forte lies. You know, we are great at tech and we are great at grassroots community building. You know, I've personally spent an incredible amount of time, even with my full-time job when Biorotation was still a side hustle, going to countless events in the evenings, on the weekends, sometimes even five events on a weekend. So within two days, because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just because I was an outsider to the industry, right? I didn't work in fashion. I didn't work in media. I'm not British. I didn't grow up here. I don't know all the people who all seem to know each other because that's what the industry is like anyway. And so I spent all this time really building grassroots connections, you know, like human connections with people. And we see that with birotation as well. You know, our community is extremely friendly with each other. And I think the way that we've built the community has set the tone for what our brand is. And, and it's also 
a reflection of how people are behaving with each other when they're lent- lending and renting from each other. And fashion is very personal. So, you know, it, it's not just like staying at an Airbnb and, and going like, yeah, I just needed to stay here and, and it doesn't matter. I just need a place to sleep and shower in. Fashion is much more personal, which is why we also positioned it as a social network because, you know, it, it's almost like I get to dress like this woman that I admire and maybe we'll never be friends. Maybe we'll never meet in real life because she lives in Manchester and I live in London. But it's so cool that I have her extended wardrobe. And I think that's where the community side of it is so important to a peer-to-peer social marketplace like Byrotation. It's a good way to look at it. Think about that, trusting that the people that you are inspired by. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. So it would be good if you could share some advice with contacts, you know, as a tech platform that is working in the fashion industry, what could we do to minimize our own carbon footprint? Because obviously, you know, we, we work with a, a wide range of brands, some of which are fast fashion brands. So obviously we see our impacts being intrinsically linked to theirs. Obviously we don't produce any of the clothes or whatever, but kind of by association and by working with them. So how could we maybe mitigate some of that and you know just find some workarounds to lessen that impact yeah i mean i definitely wouldn't say i'm an expert in this area and the way that we sort of think about our carbon impact is really about empowering people to use what they already have that's like our mantra right and that's why we're very averse to logistics we're very averse to having stores like we've done a couple of pop-ups in real life experiences but they've been very, very, you know, they've been very minimal in terms of our carbon footprint. It's all about being in one place and only there for like a few weeks. So I would say, you know, in terms of what potentially contact could do is really encourage these brands that might not be on on the path to sustainability as yet to really be much more honest about what they're marketing. I recently heard and saw that there's like a fast fashion brand that's claiming that their jeans are sustainable, but jeans inherently are the least sustainable a product that you can make when it comes to fashion. So I think instead of getting your talent to, to help send all these miscommunications, I think contact can maybe try and influence the communications that are, you know, that are being sent out there when they're using your talent. I think, I think that would probably be something that you could sort of spearhead and push. Cause sometimes, sometimes a lot of talent don't actually know and maybe they don't even read into it. You know, they, they just think, I'm the talent. I just need to sort of execute. It's it's not my job to do the background research and the homework, but I guess that's what contact can provide to the talent. Yeah, I know. I think I think that's pretty solid. I mean, honesty and transparency. I feel yeah. like you know, even on a personal level, like you you said about your own wardrobe stuff. I think even just speaking from yourself, it's it's important to do that to just show one another, like, okay, this is the reality of it. You don't need to like fluff it up or anything. Yeah. I think people identify with authenticity more, more so than ever, you know, after all the countless lockdowns we've had. No one wants to see all the glamorous side all the time. Yeah. But let's just be raw with it. Exactly. <laughs> For sure. So going back to the time you've spent in other countries and just your, even just your exposure to, to other cultures, obviously across the globe, the way that we consume is, is very different. Probably in the, in the West, probably the worst <laughs> consumers realistically <laughs> that there are. So do you think kind of having this exposure and just understanding of, of other cultures and just and different communities, is there anything that you've noticed in terms of consumption? Where are the biggest consumers? Where are the, you know, where are people consuming less and how are people consuming fashion? And, 
you know, maybe who's sharing the most? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have the stats on it, but but just from like what I would say, maybe more like my gut feeling and pulse would be the West is definitely a huge culprit of uh, consuming too much fashion and mostly even fast fashion. You know, the UK consumes about five times the amount of fashion that its European counterparts do, which I suppose it makes sense. You know, this, this is the, the, the home, you know, it's, it's the, the birthplace of a lot of fast fashion companies. Yeah, um, true. So it kind of makes sense. And I think it's just sort of interesting that the uh, incidence of, of textile waste still seems to fall more upon African and Asian countries. You know, things are made in Asia and Africa, and then they're sent to Western countries. And then, you know, people here, including myself, you know, when I was still wearing fast fashion, we wear them about max 10 times. We donate them, donate them with the, you know, um, <laughs> we donate them to like Oxfam and all these charities thinking, oh, I've done something so great. Oh, I participated in uh, this fast fashion company's take back program and got a five pound voucher and all of that. Right. Yeah. We feel so great that we did something good. And, and now our wardrobe's finally empty so we can buy new things again. And, um, you know, about 90% of all these so-called donations just end up going back to Asian and African landfills and markets where they're sort of um, resold to locals so that the locals can wear your secondhand, thirdhand, whatever items. There's like definitely some power imbalances there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's incredibly, you know, it's just, it's very frustrating. I wouldn't say that India is probably not a big consumer of fashion and textile, you know. We're notorious for our weddings. You know, we have about five <laughs> events, you know, yeah. my, my wedding included, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I would say I can imagine like quite a few other sort of, well, I wouldn't say China, but I can imagine like other countries, maybe African countries, from what I understand, you know, they, they don't produce that much textile and they use what they already have. And, you know, you know it, they're sort of like, I think there's like a boom now in African designers, but it's all quite cultural. Like everyone, yeah. sort of, you know, they, they're very proud of their local artists and they, you know, they seem to sort of celebrate those over all these fast fashion companies coming from the West. Or maybe I, I choose to read those sort of publications anyway. No, I, I mean, I feel like I've recognized a lot of the same, yeah, for sure. Yeah, which is great because they're, they're really celebrating their handicraft, you yeah. know? With India, I feel like we've sort of, uh, India and Bangladesh, you know, we've sort of sold out to these these fast fashion giants from the West because obviously we need livelihood. But I think Africa hasn't sold out yet, like the African countries. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, sorry. I feel like maybe Germans and I feel like the Finns probably don't consume that much fashion. So yeah, anyway. Some really conscious countries there. We have to do some digging. Yeah, we, yeah, we we'll do, do some digging and find out. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, obviously, with bi rotation, things are the sharing economy is done like kind of it's, a, it's an internal thing, you know, from within the community. And we all try, or at least say that we try to kind of do our bit to reduce the climate crisis and so on and be more conscious with our consumption and all of that. But who do you think the power really lies with? Do you think there needs to be more kind of legislation and, you know, maybe laws that impact some of these brands that are producing insane amounts of clothes to actually create real, like, visceral change? Yeah, I mean, you know, starting in this industry, I was surprised that there's no regulatory body. 
So it's it's no wonder that, you know, a bunch of these really large listed companies are still engaging in modern slavery. Even in the UK, you know, you, you've got people who are being paid crazy wages. I was just surprised there's no governing body. And having worked in finance for seven years before that, there's a bunch of regulations which have basically shifted the entire industry and made a lot of jobs obsolete. So I was just surprised that the fashion industry has absolutely no regulation. And that's why, you know, everyone's doing whatever the hell they want. And it's crazy because everyone wears fashion every day. So this industry should have been policed. But I'm not sure, you know, brands hold the power because people are fans of brands. You know, when they think of fashion, there are a few names that come to mind. You know, there's definitely like some brands that hold all the power. And if they don't sign up to this or if they don't help create these these governing bodies, then nothing's ever going to change. So for me, and obviously with what we've built at Birotation, we're not going to wait for the industry to change. It probably isn't because it's not good for their sales. It's not good for their shareholders. So for us, it's, um, you know, we're putting the power back to the average consumer, the one who's shopping on the high street and doesn't realize that there's actually a better alternative out there, which is borrowing a quality piece from someone and then returning it back to them. So using what you already have. So for me, I, I'm just going to empower and take back control as an average consumer. That's that word, empower, definitely. I think it's, it is kind of just down to ourselves. I, I agree with that. We need to find ways to empower ourselves to kind of do what is not going to be done. Yeah. So I think as well, it's like the whole greenwashing thing. People are going to tell you one thing and the complete opposite is going on. And you may not ever necessarily get that truth if you sit and wait for it. Yeah. And I would also say there is one thing, though, that I feel like governments can do. And, and I sit on the board of the Sharing Economy UK. And I think that, you know, the governments of the world, not just the UK, can be much more vocal and supportive of various sharing economy businesses. So not just, you know, by rotation and fashion and lifestyle, but, you know, things like encourage and help out and have rebates for people who are, you know, sharing their cars, sharing their apartments, um, sharing their books, you know, sharing, I don't know, their laptops or gadgets or whatever with each other. I think there needs to be support from the governments to encourage more businesses that are helping people share their existing things. Because we have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of everything. We have a lot of furniture as well, by the way. That's, an- <laughs> that, that's another very wasteful industry. People aren't talking about it, but homeware is incredibly wasteful. Okay. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't necessarily like think about that because you just think of furniture as a essential yeah. thing. But obviously a lot, a lot of it really isn't now that you've said that. Well, now, now a lot of fast fashion companies are dipping their toes into homeware, right? This is true, yeah. It's no longer about investing in a really quality furniture piece. If you can buy it for one third, and it'll be of cheaper quality. But hey, at least it, it, it's trendy this year. It's great for my Instagram photo if I have <laughs> if I have this mirror. Do you know? Do you know all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that's exactly why we need to be renting these things. Rotating, yeah. Exactly rotating. <laughs> for our final question, it's we're going to just go like a little left field. And we just want to know, how would you describe the place where you'd be happiest? Where would you be? What would it look like? What would you be doing? Oh, I don't know. I think it's going to be Sicily, the Aeolian Islands. I would just be, well, I don't know how to scuba dive, but I really want to learn. (laughs) So I'd love to be scuba diving. I used to be scared of fish when I first saw them in the ocean. I freaked out. All fish. Yeah, I was, I freaked out. But but now I want to be on a volcanic beach. So Stromboli in the Aeolian Islands. And you see a lot of colorful fish. I think I would be happiest there. 
That is a beautiful image. My retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> get those get a scuba diving lessons in and make it happen. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, <laughs> that, I think growing up in cities my entire life, you know, Singapore is a city state. It's smaller than London. I think for me, I want something that's completely a contrast to that. No, that's totally fair. I'm very, very beautiful. Yes. Love that. Oh, well, hopefully that happens for you. <laughs> Thank we'll be, you, we'll be, we'll be waiting to see. I, I will invite you. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> it sounds amazing. I think I'm going to have to do some scuba diving lessons as well. I mean, my, my swimming abilities are like really not there. So I'll get started soon. Amazing. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much for your time. Actually, you had a had a really great conversation. Thank you for for being so honest and transparent as well. I think people really appreciate that. Yeah, really enjoyed our our recording. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creative Parts. For more information about this episode, check out the description or visit contact.xyz forward slash creative hyphen paths. I'll be back soon for more unfiltered conversations about creative journeys. Creative Paths is brought to you by Contact, the platform where creatives, models, photographers, and more find work and get paid, and where clients book the world's most diverse creative talent. Visit contact.xyz for more information.